Welcome to Is This Working, a podcast about the messy parts of work, with me, Anna Codriarado. And me, Tiffany Philippou. This week, we're talking about burnout, again. It's the work problem that won't go away, and it feels like something that a lot of people are struggling with right now. So this week, we wanted to delve deeper into what the real cause of this collective burnout moment could be. So I would say, Tiffany, that I'm coming out of, but still I'm very much in a phase of burnout or a period of burnout. And it's something that I feel like I've been struggling with for the last few months, but it feels like it has very much been there throughout my winter season. And that if I were to characterize my 2020, 2021 winter, burnout would be my buzzword, or it would be the word I would say that encapsulates how I've been feeling over this time period. I certainly have struggled with because we've talked about burnout in quite a few different episodes now and I've certainly struggled with some of the symptoms of burnout so um you know that frustration that bit of demotivation um that kind of lack of feedback that we're getting and I think it's been a really tough winter we're obviously in England here which has been three months of very strict lockdown um but I've, I'm, I'm not, I will explore this on the episode, but I'm not sure whether it's technically burnout that I've experienced because it's been something that's come very much through way in waves. And um, so I'm not sure how long-term burnout needs to be. But I also think a lot of struggles that I've had haven't actually necessarily been the fault of my work. It's more the other aspects of my life or lack of, you know, not being able to see friends and not being able to have the release and the fuel that I so desperately, I mean, we also desperately need from social interaction. So I sort of wonder how much I've been struggling with that rather than actual burnout. But either way, it has certainly been a challenge to work throughout this past year under these conditions. And when I have noticed the symptoms come along that I know we'll delve more into, I have it has caused me to stop and reassess and um, re-strategize, which is something you should constantly be doing in your career anyway. But it has always been a little warning sign, like this seems like it could be burnout, so react. So um, it's definitely something I've experienced in different shapes or forms. I think that is so interesting to hear you say that you're not sure whether what you've been experiencing is burnout, because that makes me think about how I very much self-diagnosed my burnout. So to kind of take it a step back, when I talk about being burned out, what I mean is that I have been suffering from the three classic symptoms of burnout, which are very low energy, borderline exhaustion, a kind of cynicism about one's job or my case, my job, and then reduced productivity, a sort of like an inability to concentrate and an inability to do my work. So those are the three kind of classic symptoms of burnout as defined by the World World Health Health the World Health Organization. And I really felt like I was feeling those, 
but there isn't, there's no kind of burnout clinic that you go to, to get diagnosed. And to a large extent, even if you talk to a GP about these kinds of things, I think it's quite rare that the word burnout actually kind of gets used in this kind of diagnostic way. So at least for me, it is self, very much self-diagnosed. And what's really interesting for me about burnout is like how it is a work-related stress. It is a work-related condition. And that's something that's really important to emphasize because burnout only really occurs in relation to your job. So again, if you kind of go back to those three symptoms, they are to do with work. And so I just find it very interesting when you're kind of saying how you identify with some of the symptoms, but you feel a bit apprehensive to call it burnout. And um, I wonder if in many ways you're so, you're almost like really good at spotting those red flags early on. So you kind of cut burnout in its path, um, but also kind of speaks to something that um, I've noticed, you know, we, we, we now have this word burnout and it gets used quite a lot. And we'll kind of go into this a bit more in the episode, but sometimes we're talking about something that isn't actually burnout or sometimes we perhaps you know the inverse is also true that maybe we don't realize that we have burnout so but yeah I mean to again to kind of talk about it in relation to what I've been experiencing it's really really miserable and it's really really tough especially you know I'm well we're both freelance when I was in the thick of really feeling like I couldn't actually do my work that's really not great when you have to work in order to make money so it's not like when I'm sitting in a job and I'm going to get paid regardless if I have an off day, I have an off day. It's not catastrophic. But um, when you quite literally have to work in order to make money, it just kind of exacerbates the problem. Um, so yeah, but what I can happily report is that I have put some measures in place and I'm very much coming out of it. And it's nowhere near as bad as it was um, a couple of weeks ago, even, or um, a couple of months ago. So the, sort of the dead of winter was my my lowest burnout point. Um, so yeah, do you feel like you have ever had burnout? Because I, I can definitely identify another point in my life where I was in, in employment and was severely burned out, but didn't realize it. But from, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't have that language to say it was burnout. And we've actually done a previous episode in which we talk about this, but do you feel like you have ever had burnout? I'm finding it hard to answer that question because the way I look back on my life, especially having written um, my memoir, um, I have actually seen that I have often used work as a numbing or distraction technique to hide from other issues and problems. So I would personally, from my own experience, um, even though I've struggled with work over time in different ways, I don't know whether work has always been the cause because that's what defines it as it burnout by definition is it's a work related problem. Um, so I'm hesitant to say I've ever had a proper sustained time of burnout because again, like how long does it last for? Because I've had quite a lot of off weeks here and there as in one week at a time, but my understanding is burnout is perhaps a more sustained experience. So it's hard to say, but maybe the fact it is so hard to say and define is part of the issue. Well, that I think is so interesting because there is, when you, if you Google, and 
look up on reputable websites like NHS websites and Mayo Clinic and other such reliable sources, if you look up, say, for example, other mental health conditions like depression, there is this two week window that's given. There is a time frame given. So you have to have you have to feel these symptoms for two weeks or more. But when in researching this episode, when I looked up burnout, again, in these same sources, there was no time frame given. So I think that's a really interesting question that you have about how long do you have to have these symptoms for, for it to be officially classified as burnout. And what I have concluded from looking into this and from the research that I've looked at is that this is part of a bigger issue where we don't have a full understanding of A, of burnout and B, of workplace mental health conditions writ large. So there is a school of thought that, you know, burnout is a work-related problem and um, only occurs as a result of workplace, of chronic workplace stress and, and poor management of that. But if you remove those stresses and you look at those problems, you can cure it. However, there's also another school of thought, which is that actually burnout is a subset of depression and that there are other things you need to do. You basically need to do a kind of a, uh, the same sort of treatment you would do for depression in order to address the burnout. And so, so to me, this kind of says, well, we just basically don't fully understand the very many and complex ways in which work stresses us out and how we should be um, curing it. And that kind of, I think, has all come to a head in the last year and with the pandemic, because I think whenever I have, so I've, I've, t- I talked about my burnout. Um, I write a newsletter and I've talked about feeling burnt out in that newsletter. And honestly, I have never had such a flood of responses to any newsletter I've ever posted than the recent ones that I've been writing about my burnout. Because, and to me, that kind of indicates that so many people are feeling this right now. And so that kind of raises the question of, you know, what's the impact of the pandemic on burnout and has it has it made it worse? I think that's a really hard question to answer. There's certainly, there's definitely something happening where there's a collective struggle that's playing out through finding work harder than it used to feel. Um, but I wonder, I think, I wonder whether we explore that rather than get so caught up in the definition because obviously being able to define what's wrong is really important for curing it something but there's no denying that whether it's burnout or work malaise people are feeling overworked disillusioned cynical about their jobs and there are so many different things that have happened for example being away from the office being away from colleagues not having that social interaction and feedback with most people being told to work from home. Um, So it really makes sense that these negative feelings around work are perpetuated when you're stuck at home and away from the people you're supposed to be interacting with. And and also, I think, picking back up on something that you mentioned earlier about how when you look back over your career, you found that there were points where you were using work as a distraction tool. I think that to a large extent is what's happening for a lot of people now. And I speak for myself when I say this, that there was nothing, you know, when we were in the height of the, of, of lockdown and when, when there 
we were in strict, under strict stay at home orders, there was nothing else in my life to do except work. And to a large extent, I threw myself into work because I wanted to distract from uncomfortable feelings of being anxious, worried, scared, not knowing what the future holds, all as a result of the pandemic. And that then I think caused, kind of caused my burnout because I was working myself so hard that I wasn't taking enough rest time and proper rest time, not just because what I was kind of doing was I was sort of working all day, then flopping onto the sofa to watch a TV show and then going to bed. And that's not really restful rest. And I was taking on, I was saying yes to loads of projects because I wanted, I actively wanted to pile my plate up really high, but then inevitably I felt like I couldn't deliver on all of those things. And I was really, really struggling and there was too much going on. Um, And so that is one of the ways that burnout kind of manifested for me. But then again, to kind of go back to what you were saying about, well, was the problem that I took on too much work or was the problem that I didn't know how to sit in the discomfort of being worried about the pandemic? And so I used work as a distraction technique. It's a kind of chicken and egg thing. So uh, I think that is really important. And we just don't, know how to have these kinds of conversations and to explore these things. And it's just, it's very easy also, by the way, just to blame work for everything. And it's also very easy just to blame the pandemic for everything. It's so true. Those are the new, like it's socially acceptable to blame those two things for struggling. Whereas actually there might be darker, uh, less socially acceptable things going on. What I'm seeing as I, um, delve back into the more regular working world is there's a lack of professionalism happening right now and again it's it's chicken and egg so I'm seeing people yeah just be a bit less professional in work contexts and I'm thinking is this mental health related do these people have loads of issues going on so they can't handle whether it's responding to email. So it's the worst example to use because, uh, you know, there is there is a problem with how we use email at work. But, you know, I can't... But um, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's a sort of lack of professionalism, people not being innovative, not being engaged. And that, for me, I, if I have to work with people like that, that sucks the energy out of me slightly. But, and that makes my work harder but what might be causing them to be like that might be more non-work related issues or just the struggles generally to do with the pandemic. And again, as you said, it's this chicken and egg cycle where of course work and life blend into each other. If we have struggles with one, they go into the other. And so, and so we almost become burnt out as an impact of other people or other issues happening outside of work. And that's what I'm finding quite challenging at the moment as well. I think that's really, really interesting. And it is so true. I've just noticed that. I mean, we we all know this, of course, this is this is a fact that everyone has been, no one is operating at their best right now. Um, and, and I think that is really important, by the way, to emphasize and to remember, because it may look from the outside that people are doing really well, you know, people posting their achievements on social media and all of these things, but you can achieve something and you can have a significant life or work goal happen to you. And still behind the scenes, there is personal 
chaos or difficulties or all of these other things. And it's very, very hard because on the one hand, I think we have made such leaps and bounds in the last few years about being more open about mental health related things. But then at the same time, I think this pandemic has shown us that we are not quite as ahead as we think we are. And it isn't that easy to talk about stuff that's really going on. And I think that's just very evident in the way that, as you say, I mean, I find this, I mean, I, anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough knows that I hate email, but I really struggle to deal with my inbox at the moment. It causes me an inordinate amount of anxiety. Um, but then also stuff like I feel my find myself having to drag myself to a Zoom meeting and I do everything I can to be audio, uh, audio only and video off. And I'm trying really, really hard to minimize the amount of um, video calls I'm doing. The old fashioned, there is nothing wrong with the old fashioned telephone. You heard it here first. Um, but also it's that thing of, you know, it's these really small things as well that we just re- realizing now the impact of. So, you know, a big, this of course, there's such a big conversation happening at the moment about what's going to happen to the office. Are we going to return to offices? And I actually think that we now have this amazing opportunity to use offices for what they are actually cannot be replaced for, which is those serendipitous or just opportune moments to socialize. Because something we do know from research is that having a work buddy, someone that you can grab for a quick coffee when you're feeling stressed, actually can help keep burnout at bay because you just have that support bubble right there. And working from home means that, yes, you may still have that work colleague and you might still be able to have a chat with them, but it is not the same as just kind of going for a quick walk or having a coffee with them. You you know, you have to schedule a phone call or a Zoom meeting or, what, or whatever. And that actually, for all of its faults, the office does actually play quite a important social aspect to work. And I, I don't think the solution is that everyone needs to go back to the office nine to five five days a week, far from it. I think the office needs to be reimagined as a social hub and as a place that people can almost do the the social aspect of their jobs. So it's all of these things are kind of culminating. There's almost like a lot of big things that we have to work out. And there are still so many uncertainties um, that uh, no wonder everyone is feeling the pressure right now. I wonder whether there's a bit of anxiety about the change that's coming as well. Am I going to be made to go back to the office? What's going to happen? Um, You know, there's change in the air. And that I think that can also add to the uncertainty and those feelings. So, yeah, it's no wonder um, that people are struggling. And we're still operating and living in in a state of fear. And fear makes work less fun on a practical level. Like people aren't taking as many risks. Budgets are being constrained. People are feeling very conservative. And particularly if you're in the creative industries like us, that really impacts the feedback we get and the deals we get and collaborations and partnerships. Um, And then similarly for people who um, work in other types of jobs, they may feel constrained. They can't innovate and try new things. So yeah, fear basically makes work a lot less fun. And that's what we're experiencing right now. For sure. Um, let's take this step back almost. And I would really like to delve into this issue of mental health 
and burnout and um, what's kind of really going on because it's something that we kind of touched on a few moments ago. But Tiffany, I wonder, do you think that it's more socially acceptable to say you're burned out versus some, that something else is going on, like depression or anxiety or some other, some other mental health condition? 100%. Because if you say I have burnout, you're saying there's something wrong with my work. If you say I have depression, what you f- worry that people will hear is there's something wrong with me. That's really powerful. That's really powerful because, because also, you know, to, to make this really, really clear, burnout and depression have a lot of overlapping symptoms. You know, I, I read that list about what you may experience when you're burned out. You also will experience those things if you are depressed as well. And I think it's, I think that is such a important point. In fact, Tiffany, I'm going to do what Brene Brown does. I'm going to ask you to repeat it. So if somebody says I'm burnt out, what they believe they're saying is there's a problem with my work. If someone says I'm depressed, then their fear is that the person will hear there's something wrong with me. It's it's so true. And it, this also kind of ties in, this ties in to quite a lot of things. It ties into how we still don't feel comfortable talking about our mental health in a work context. We still don't feel, we may feel more comfortable talking about it in our personal lives, but it's still a really hard thing to talk about in a work context. I mean, it's still also hard to talk about in a outside of work as well, but, um, and that now as well, I think there's a lot of people who, who there, there are a lot of people and I count myself, this is me, of course, you know, I get this and I feel this. I have not been personally touched by COVID in the sense that no one close to me had it, neither, um, you know, I didn't, I haven't lost anyone to it. Um, there have been some, definitely there have been livelihoods, mine included, that have been somewhat, there, there were a couple of big <laughs> bumps in the road as a result of it, but absolutely nothing catastrophic, neither to my life nor to anyone in my immediate circle. And yet I found myself to have struggled so much this year. And I don't know how to say this without coming across. I don't, well, I don't know how it will come across, but you do feel incredibly guilty when you're in, sat in the middle of a global pandemic and nothing really that bad has happened to you, except you've been asked to stay at home and watch Netflix. And yet you can't help but feel really, really rubbish, you know? I've ended up feeling incredibly burned out by my work or who knows, it could be something bigger than that. Um, And so it's just a really, really hard conversation to have basically. Um, And it's, there's just a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings swirling around that uh, we're just trying our best to kind of unpack. Yeah, it's very complicated because there might be existing mental health issues that have come to the fore because of the situation we've been put in or they could have been created because of the situation we've put in and I feel like it's kind of dangerous when it appears on the surface that we have got better about talking about mental health because it actually adds a layer of 
shame if you're experiencing it, if, if you're experiencing mental health sh- struggles, but you still don't feel comfortable or that you can be open or you still feel shame about them. And yet at the same time, there's all this sort of performative hashtag mental health chat going on. And, you know, everyone agrees the pandemic has impacted our mental health. What does that really mean? And how can the individual really connect and not feel shame about that? Because as you've just said, we've just been told to sit at home and watch Netflix. I feel rubbish. So I'm going to feel shame about that because I I shouldn't. Because in a way, because so many people are struggling in that way that having lost a job, being fearful for their homes, for people like us who do not have those sorts of situations, it's more visible how, again, how we should feel shame for these situations. So if we're struggling, we should, you know, at least you have a job, at least you can know when your next meal is coming from. But unfortunately, that's not how mental health works. It's not a hierarchy of suffering or it's not created based on your circumstance, like super privileged people suffer, super underprivileged people suffer. Like, And again, if anything, the pandemic's adding a layer of shame around it instead of actually opening up the conversations in the way that it appears that they might be. And I think that's a bit dangerous. Yeah, it's so true. And it, this kind of goes back to what you so brilliantly articulated that it's just so much easier just to use a word like burnout. And we do shy away from saying that there's something potentially bigger going on. And and not to mention, I, I, this is a bit of a parallel, uh, sorry, a tangent here, but by and large, the mental health conditions that we are comfortable talking about are depression and anxiety. So when when there is sort of public or public discourse or when we talk about mental health, uh, when we see mental health spoken about in the media, it is usually we're talking about depression and anxiety. There are a whole host of other mental illnesses that get very little airtime because they are still considered incredibly taboo and stigmatized. You know, the kind of your personality disorders, um, narcissism, all of these things, they don't get the same airtime and they can't, they, and they are um, and that there has that kind of same impact of it being incredibly shameful to even talk about having those sorts of condition, having those conditions, because there there is there is just not that sort of same um, airtime given to them and that same level of discussion about them. Let's take a quick ad break, and when we're back, we'll be talking about how burnout's actually easy to fix, yet asking why don't we fix it? Stay tuned. This episode is sponsored by Wild. Wild is a natural deodorant brand that has created an effective, long-lasting deodorant that is vegan, cruelty-free, and free of nasty chemicals and parabens. And it actually works. The packaging is sustainable and plastic-free and fits right through your letterbox. The cases are made from aluminium and the refills, which smell great, are home compostable too. You can customise the colour and choose from five cents and even personalise it with your name, which is what we've done with our cases. Yes, and we've been fans of natural deodorant for a while, haven't we, Anna? We have. And actually, it was you who introduced me to natural deodorant because you started using 
um, you you went natural a, a few years ago now, and I was very resistant at first because I said I was too sweaty. But you converted me because you explained that there is we we get we're sweaty from antiperspirant because it kind of clogs us up and then it makes us produce more sweat. So once you start using natural deodorant, you actually find that you don't even sweat as much as you thought you did. So yeah, and I'm just I'm really really enjoying my lovely smelling wild deodorant and I can happily report that I'm smelling great not sweaty at all I'm very happy yes me too I'm also really liking wild and yeah I'm glad we're both smelling so good so go to wild today and get yourself this natural deodorant that genuinely works you can order by going to wearewild.com and you'll get 20% off your first order when you use the code is this working at checkout and that's wearewild.com and the code is this working at checkout for 20% off and we'll put that in the show notes. Enjoy. Thank you very much to Wild. And now back to the show. So here's another thing I think is happening. Burnout was happening before the pandemic. And I think what's actually happened is that our work culture is so troubly flawed. (laughs) And pandemic or no pandemic, all the issues that we've discussed on countless past episodes, such as why do all managers suck? um, Those sorts of questions we've been asking throughout our five series of the podcast have actually perpetuated burnout and it was always going to be that burnout was going to take this direction because work culture has been so messed up basically that this was always going to happen. Yeah I mean if you look in our back catalogue of this podcast really we were predicting the pandemic that is happening in work culture since we started this whole show and all of these things that you've just mentioned, all of the problems in work itself have just all come to a fore in the last year. And I think that's something that is really important to think about. And there was a great article in The Atlantic by Olga Kahn about the role that bosses play in solving burnout And what was great about her article is it highlights the fact that so much of the advice about solving burnout focuses on the, on the burnt or on the Bernie, as in, you know, the worker, the individual. And and we've been, I don't want to say guilty of this, but we've definitely in past episodes, whenever we've talked about burnout, all of the practical advice we've given has been around what the individual does. And of course, there is a really big role that the individual plays. And, you know, we all need to do our self-care and we need to practice mindfulness and look after ourselves. But if burnout is a work-related problem, surely the solution will therefore involve fixing the workplace itself. Because when you think about it, the most extreme thing you can do if you're burnt out is to leave your job. And in some cases, really, the only way to fix it and get rid of it is to quit and find something else to do. 
that doesn't feel like a very good or sustainable situation that we have droves of people who are have become so burned out by their work that they have no solution but to leave it. Um, to a large extent, that kind of has fueled a, a rise in self-employment in some respects. There are people, I know plenty of people who freelance because they feel they they came from toxic workplaces and they felt that they couldn't get ahead in their job and they had all sorts of problems in in their previous employment and they turned to self-employment. And whilst on the one hand, and I speak as a freelance, someone who is freelance, on the one hand, some of the conditions that lead to burnout when you're freelance just don't exist. So a classic reason why you might end up being burnt out is because you have a lack of control over you have a lack of you have a lack of control or a lack of autonomy over things like your schedule. And so when you work for yourself, you can really solve that problem. So actually I can draw on my own experiences to highlight this. Probably this is the best way to explain it. So I had a job once where I wanted to do yoga on a Friday afternoon and there was a one hour yoga class. Incidentally, I think it was actually put on by the company as part of some sort of wellbeing strategy. Now the class itself was an hour long and I wanted to go because I wanted to, you know, reap all of those mindfulness and yoga benefits. The problem was it was an hour long and it wasn't in the building. It was kind of a five, seven minute walk away. So to actually get changed, get there on time, do the class and get back meant that I was taking over my allotted hour lunch break. And for the whole class, I was just constantly stressing about how I would get in trouble or be seen, not be sat at my desk and that how bad that would look, that all of those positives of doing the yoga class were completely negated by my fear of what my bosses would think of me. Now that I work for myself, I set all of my own hours and I do my yoga without having, you know, when I'm doing my yoga, I am focusing on it and I'm able to actually be present and have the benefits of doing it. And I'm not worrying about any of those things. However, at the same time, being freelance is definitely not the solution to burnout because where I have felt burnout since being freelance has been because I feel that I put so much work into something and I don't necessarily get that much out of it. And as a, someone who works for themselves, you're kind of trapped in this double bind of in order to get work, you have to put yourself out there and put yourself at risk of rejection. And that there is no way to avoid rejection when you, when you work for yourself. And yes, of course, I had a bit of rejection when I worked in-house and I had in, you know, I had a staff job, but I wasn't facing the daily risk of rejection in the way that I do now as a freelance journalist. So what I'm essentially saying is, is the double-edged sword that there is, it doesn't matter what area of the workforce you're looking at. There are still so many problems within it that are very fertile breeding grounds for burnout. And that so much of the problems are, it's not, it's not just, there's only so much that what the individual worker can do and that we have to look at the bigger issues as well. That yoga story makes me so angry because it illustrates everything that is wrong with knowledge work, knowledge workers and how they're expected to work and how it's all about how long you're sat at the desk for it doesn't matter what you're doing at the desk because obviously if you go and do yoga for an hour plus the seven minute walk and come back you will work more productively than if you're sat for two hours 
and you're on Slack or whatever instant messaging tool the company uses and your boss, by the way, I get this, right? I'm so impatient. If I ask you a question and you don't reply immediately, I'm like, oh, but I'm in the middle of the thing. I want an answer. Like I understand why managers want their employees just sat there responding to them, but you have to overcome that urge because that's your employee or person not being productive because they need to manage their time in a productive way. So anyway, this this culture of like presenteeism, it, I'm just I'm it's just it just drives me crazy because it's not valuing output and quality work and deep work and it just makes me so angry and I think because again going back to this pandemic thing because of the work from home piece, people have, people, again, people want to see people are online and they want that instant feedback and they want that, they're encouraging online presenteeism. And so all this, all that's happened with everyone working from home is it's highlighted how ridiculous this culture is and this problem is and how essentially everyone's suffering because if you're multitasking all day, and not focusing and not being thoughtful or autonomous about how you plan your day and manage your time, then of course you're going to work inefficiently. So you have to work longer. And it's just this vicious cycle. And it just makes me so angry because it's just so easy to solve. Um, and that's the end of my rant about that, but it drives me mad. <laughs> well, let's then talk a bit about how do we solve it? Because we, we mentioned that burnout is easy to fix. Um, and we say that because it is well documented that if you can drill down to the specific thing that is causing the burnout, whether it is um, your long working hours or not having enough autonomy, there are you know you once you've addressed once you've identified these things, you can address them. Um, yes, yeah, sometimes that solution is actually quite extreme and it is to leave your job, but burnout is easy to fix, and so why don't we? Why are we all suffering and why are we all struggling with it? When I speak to people who are struggling with issues such as burnout um, or anything in life, really, when people are in a really negative, stuck headspace, and this is why coaching is so great because it deals with when you're stuck in a negative cycle. Um, anything you suggest, they come up with excuses not to take action I can't take time off. I can't, I can't, I can't. And that is actually one of the symptoms of something being really wrong. So I think that's the first challenge. Yeah, I mean, and, and of course, like, yes, there are situations in which, you know, I'm definitely not saying that the only way to deal with burnout is for us all to quit our jobs and um, take a long holiday and then figure stuff out. Because actually it, it is hard to do that. Um but it's not totally impossible. Also, you don't have to take extreme action to take action. That's the other point is that there are small steps one can take. And so if the end goal is that you need to change your circumstances, whatever that might look like for you, it you can take small steps towards that no matter where, you're, where you are. And so getting out of that negative headspace is the first thing that you you need to start addressing because it is true if you find yourself not able to see any solution that is a massive red flag i want to just highlight when you said that um i can't remember your exact phrasing but you don't have to take big action to take action because 
again, I talk to people, I need a month off. I need this. I'm so I, I'm going to wait till I can do that. I personally have found when I've been struggling one or two days to step back is actually very transformative. So you can really um, reduce how overwhelming the change you need to make is. And that is a really important first step because you have to have that initial step back. And, th- and then that gets rid of that overwhelm that really fuels that negative headspace we were just talking about. For sure. I think something else that is a really important point whilst we're on this subject of uh, it feels like our solution is quit your job and it very much isn't. But at the same time, for many people, you may be thinking that this is what you want to do. And actually, if you've exhausted all other avenues in addressing burnout, you may arrive at the place where you need to change jobs. Now, the problem is, is that we have been taught that it is better to have a miserable job than no job and that you should never leave a job without having something else to go to. And whilst, yes, by and large, I think that is good advice and I think that is true. When you are so miserable and so disillusioned and burnt out in your job, it is then really hard to go from that in that negative headspace to go and try and find something else because job hunting is in itself, first of all, it's a full-time job anyway. It talk about being a place that is ripe for rejection. Very few people only apply to one job and get it, especially in this current climate. You have to put yourself out there. You have to do the work. You have to face rejection and you have to keep doing it over and over and over again. Well, if you're already burnt out and you already feel like shit, that's not going to make you feel any better. And then it becomes even harder to find that job anyway. And, and, and also I'll preface what I'm about to say with the fact that we're based in the UK and things are our welfare system is different here to then say in the US where maybe this might be a bit more challenging to do. But the idea of quitting your job and taking a bit of breathing room and thinking about what your next step is, it is, it is possible if you want, you know, for some people that is possible. Um, but again, it kind of goes back. We, we, we go back to this thought that I can't have a gap on my CV. I can't not have job. What's going to happen all of these things. Um, and again, I'm going to emphasize, I do not think, I'm not saying here, everyone quit their job with no plan. I'm All I'm addressing is a deeper issue that we have, which is essentially the morality of work and how we as a society prize being in work above all else at the expense of mental health, at the expense of our well-being, all of, the, all of these things. That, that's the point I'm making here. I'm not saying that everyone go and go and quit their job and have a jolly. Um, It's about a deeper issue. So essentially what we're flagging here is whether it's, I can't take time off or I can't quit my job. If you find yourself in a cycle of, I can't, I can't, I can't, that itself is a sign of the problem. And what we're recommending to do is to dissect each one of those points I can't manage my time more differently. I can't do more, whatever it is, and sit down and play with what does each one of these things look like if I can and be super creative and analyze it and work it out. Because I do believe that everything is workoutable. Such an important point. And I think also leads us really nicely into wrapping this up with what are some of the things that we can do if we feel like we're experiencing burnout or just in general right now for managing our work-related stress? 
So I actually think that the first step should be going to the doctor because as we've mentioned in this episode, there are overlaps between the symptoms of burnout and the symptoms of depression. So we'll link some resources in the show notes, but um, in general, these feelings of complete exhaustion, whether mental or physical, a cynicism about your job and a reduction in um, personal productivity or um, your ability to actually perform your job. So a lack of concentration, lack of motivation, all of these things are the symptoms of burnout, but they are also the symptoms of depression. So I think it's really important to contact your doctor in the first instance, not least because again, as we mentioned, there is this school of thought that burnout itself may very well be a form of depression. Not enough is known about this. And so it is potentially worth treating it in this way. So I think that needs to be your first port of call. Second to that, do take a look at your self-care. And as I just said before, do consider all your options in the most rational way that you're able to. And yeah, consider going to HR, consider getting a new job, because if it is pure burnout, then it is work-related and it's fixable if you change situations within your work, which is actually quite good news. And then the last point that I think we want to make about what to do about burnout is that if you are in a position to advocate for addressing the things that are causing burnout in your workplace. So, you know, you might be a manager, you might be someone in a senior position, you may have the kind of power to actually affect change. And if so, I think I would strongly encourage you to use it because if you think about it, Being clear on expectations is such a big part of burnout. So when one isn't clear about what their expectations are, they can very easily, that can very easily lead to burnout. Well, the thing is, is that expectations are a two-way street. As an employee, you can do all that you can to make sure that you're clear on what your boss wants from you. And you can ask them to make sure, put things in writing and you can repeat back to them the instructions and all of these things. But if those goalposts keep moving, that is not on the employee, that is on the manager, that is on the work culture as a whole, that's on things outside of your control. And so if you are in a position where you can change things about your workplace culture. If you think that burnout is a problem that is not just affecting a couple, one individual worker or a couple of workers, but is actually rife throughout the organization, that is a red flag that there is something going on at a work culture level. And that needs to be looked at and that needs to be addressed. And lead by example. Well, I think that wraps it up for us. And leading by example means off we go now to take care of ourselves and rest. Um, Thank you so much for listening and we know it's hard times out there and we're here for you. Take care. Thank you to Wild for sponsoring this episode. Go to wearewild.com and you'll get 20% off your first order when you use the code is this working at checkout? Thank you, Wild.
You are listening to Is This Working? Hosted by Anna Cogerado and Tiffany Philippou. Produced by Chris Bannister. Please like and subscribe and you can find us in all of your favourite podcasting apps. And also just a quick note before we go to let you know that we are now giving talks at companies. So if you would like to hear us live at your workplace, email us at isthisworkingshow at gmail.com and we will send you something that you can pass along to your head of people or HR department. Thanks very much. Yeah.